Vedere classi di lingue. Resseo de classe de langue. Jitsu Gokyo Shitsu. Real language classrooms. Hi. Could we consider language learning as being like a turbocharge for your brain? Just a phrase that I thought up. It doesn't come from anywhere in particular. But I really like that idea. If language learning has really strong neurological benefits, then why not call it a turbocharge and help people to come with us on that journey of seeing language learning as not an add-on to the curriculum, but absolutely essential, fundamental, this is where education is because we're training people to think ultimately, to be flexible thinkers, to be deep thinkers, to have a strong capacity for memorising things, to have amazing interpersonal relationships. So I wanted to bring to you the work that David Marsh et al. has done. This article is called The Bilingual Advantage, The Impact of Language Learning on Mind and Brain, and it's a position paper on the value and future of language education. I will leave the link in the show notes. Quoting from the paper, It is now increasingly reported that change in the brain can be found after relatively little exposure to a second language, and that impact on the brain's electrical activity may occur even with limited exposure to certain types of language learning experience. This is particularly relevant with respect to how language teaching and learning is designed and implemented and how language learning is valued within the educational curricula. I imagine I'm not the only languages teacher who has spent a lot of time trying to convince the community, the students, the leadership that Learning a language is an essential part of our responsibility as educators to the people who we're caring for in their development. This paper is a really powerful tool for us to use with research backing to show that learning languages is absolutely in there. It should be seen as a turbocharge. I just think that makes sense and to present it that way to the people around you, including your students, I think is really, really helpful. So let's have a look at some more things that are said in this paper. Quoting from the paper, bilingual learning can have a profound effect on brain structures and especially the corpus callosum. There may be specific neurocircuitry and multicentral sensory brain processes, changes in brain organisation, interhemispheric transfer and functional plasticity, which enable certain types of change to be found in bilingual, but not in monolingual minds. Yeah, that sounds like turbocharge the brain to me. What do you think? So the paper identifies six different ways in which Bilingualism can help to strengthen the mind. It talks about the flexible mind, 
the problem-solving mind, the metalinguistic mind, the learning mind, the interpersonal mind, and the aging mind. So let's go through them a little bit more slowly. Speaking from the paper, the flexible mind is one that can adapt itself to the thinking demands of different situations. A flexible mind is an adaptable mind. It can look at things from different perspectives and it's able to think broadly across a range of possible ideas or in a very focused way. So it's divergent and convergent thinking. It can open up the possibilities and think in different perspectives or it can come together and focus in and synthesise a variety of ideas. Flexible mind. The second one is the problem-solving mind. From the paper, having more than one language is reported as providing enhanced cognitive control. It includes abstract thinking skills, creative hypothesis formation, higher concept formation skills, and overall higher mental flexibility. That sounds to me like higher order thinking skills. I really do see that as essential because, as I said earlier, I think that our job as educators is developing thinking skills much more than any particular content. All of the work that is being done with the language charts of chopping up the language, putting it together for, that the students are putting it together for themselves, that to me is problem solving. Of course, critical and creative thinking is one of the capabilities of the Victorian curriculum. And I just did a quick search for the word problem, often problem solve, but sometimes it's worded differently. 25 references to the word problem in the critical creative thinking capabilities. So problem solving is definitely high on our agenda as educators, not just as language teachers. The third one is the metalinguistic brain. And now I'm quoting from the article again. This is the ability to reflect on and build awareness of language. It gives the potential for enriched information processing. Understanding that words can have more than one meaning, identifying ambiguity in communication, translating words and interpreting concepts, and seeing the subtext underlying how language is used to convey meaning for both positive and possibly nefarious purposes is a type of understanding which can be called pragmatic skill. I find that if you speak only English, and I've spent a lot of my life speaking only English, I came to Japanese after I finished university, there's a sense that everybody says and thinks things exactly the same. So there's an expectation when you enter into a new language at first that there'll be a one-to-one -one correspondence of every word and everything that I want to say in English, I'll be able to say in Japanese in exactly the same sort of way. And then you start to come across words that don't quite mean exactly the same thing. And this can happen on a really fundamental, simple thing, like the erasers in Japanese. I found that I needed to change the word for eraser. So a keshigomu is the sort of eraser that you would use to erase pencil. But when we're erasing whiteboards, it's more of a felt block of some variety. 
and therefore I changed it to Keshi Buroku because it's not a piece of gum. So I couldn't use the same word that I would have just transferred in English. And then when I was using cloths, then it's not a block anymore. So I called it the Keshi Kurofu. It also happens in much more deep ways. The concept of saying how are you in English is not usually used in the same way in Japanese conversation. Japanese people greet each other for sure, but they don't usually follow up that greeting with how are you unless it's a situation where somebody has been concerned about another person's health and they potentially haven't seen them for a long time. It's sort of cultural spaces don't have clean edges around them and the English European habit of saying how are you in some ways has come into parts of Japanese culture. On the other hand, the term yoroshiku onagashimasu in Japanese is not used in any other situation that I know of. I'd love to hear about Chinese and other Asian cultures, whether there's something similar, but it's very much about a very positive and respectful way of acknowledging that everything that I do is dependent on the people around me and those people bringing to the table their best as well as me bringing my best. So Yoroshiku Onagaishimasu is a request for others to be good in order to enable us together to do our best with whatever our particular goals are. So there's really deep valued sections of those cultural linguistic differences as well as quite simple differences and it's the metalinguistic mind that works to see the variations and to then work those variations into what contextually suits the situation that you're trying to communicate in right now. So I would like to meet my obligation to myself and to you to make the podcasts only 10 minutes long. We've spoken so far about the flexible mind, the problem-solving mind and the metalinguistic mind and in the second part we'll look at the learning mind, the interpersonal mind and the ageing mind. Janet. Thank you to Christopher Liberti for the lovely music. You can find his work on stockmusic.com and have an amazing day.